Hi, everyone. You're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. I'm your host, Alexandra Fernandez. I hope you're all having a lovely day. And I know I am because in our virtual studio with me today, I have Canadian hip hop artist Havaya Mighty joining me to discuss her music, career and more. So thank you so much for joining me, Havaya. Nice to have you on air with us. Uh, Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. So before we get into it, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got um, to be a musician and got into the music industry? Yeah, uh, well, I've been creating music for many years. I was in singing lessons for seven years from the age of four to 11. And I started rapping around the age of 12. I started producing around the age of 13, maybe. Uh, Just kind of well immersed in music. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I loved to do always. but also, you know, I was doing school and working full-time jobs and, you know, surviving as well. And yeah. just kind of keeping the passion alive. But uh, yeah, I started uh, getting recognized for my music creation around maybe 2016. I'd been putting out music since 2009. So it was exciting to finally be recognized for something I was so passionate about. And, you know, now in 2021, you know, I've put out projects that are actually recognized in the country that I'm in. I'm, I'm just I'm actually recognized as an active and functioning musician uh, in my country and have op- the opportunity to take my music abroad and online and in all these different pockets and to all these different people. It's incredible to actually be doing music for a living now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. That sounds great. Um, and, you know, what was kind of the uh, the thing, I guess, that helped you get noticed back in 2016 what kind of set that all um to where it is now uh i'd say it was a cypher that i participated in so it was like a rap cypher where there's a beat and several artists are asked to be a part of just basically uh rapping over this beat and it was filmed it was a all-female cypher that was put out for international women's day it was put out on a big platform that existed at that time um and it went viral and that i'd say was the turning point for my career mentally as well as visibly, uh, mentally, it, it made me realize, wow, like all these people were emailing me, they didn't know, or like messaging me, DMing me, but they didn't know like where to find my email, how to send me beats, how to do this, how to do that. I realized that there were a lot of holes in my, my social media and everything was just kind of all over the place and disjointed. So it really inspired me to kind of like get my business in check. At that same time, there was a large, uh, there was a large focus on the group that I had, the, th- the three women that I had done the uh, the cypher with. And so we were being sought out for, but I, I was also like really strengthening my solo career, which is 2016. So I had been putting out music for seven years as a solo artist with very little recognition, did not believe it could really be a career. And yeah, it was just a turning point. What you can do with that sort of inspiration for me, I think I was able to mentally believe that I could do this. And that was the turning point for me. Mm-hmm. which is why one of my biggest pieces of advice is uh, when people ask always is you've got to believe in yourself because I think that was the only missing piece prior to 2016. I, I was doing it. I was getting good. I was practicing. I was, I just wasn't monetizing it. I wasn't putting it out. I wasn't getting an audience response. And I just didn't believe that I deserved to occupy this space that I was occupying, even though I was doing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, awesome. And um, I know that you were also part of a group called Sorority. And what's kind of like the difference between, you know, working independently and also working in a group as a musician? Uh, There's a lot of differences, I would say. But um, I think just working with multiple people is a different balance. You have to be more understanding of 
uh, alternate opinions when it comes to writing music. You have several opinions instead of just your own. Uh, everything is several opinions and not just your own. So it allows you to be more of a team player, mm-hmm. allows you to learn how to kind of connect with other people. You have to get used to other people's personalities and you know how they like to do things because you're traveling with these people, you're in studio with these people, you just spend a lot of time right. creating. And so I think uh, it's, it's, it's different. What I liked about it was that you uh, didn't have to kind of rely only on yourself to create. It was great for stage performing because you could take a breath or you could really create interacting moments with four people on stage or three people on stage um, as opposed to like just me. Like I'm out there just working it all by myself. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but the, it might be more rewarding to like work it all by myself and still have that same reaction as, you know, being on stage with my crew. So there's different things, right, uh, that you get out of uh, being a solo artist versus being um, in a group. But I think the best thing that's done for me is it's made me more well-rounded as an artist because I've done it. Um, I did it at the same time as being a solo artist. Uh, I think that's one of the things that makes me the most well-rounded and, and, you know, able to like balance a busy calendar is like going through three years of being an active solo artist and, and also being in a sorority and figuring out how to make that work. Um, so that really trained me on how to compartmentalize things as well because mm-hmm. I'm working on my own music, but I'm also working uh, with the girls in the studio. So um, it was cool, though. I, I, I think it makes me more well-rounded as an individual, as an artist. And uh, a lot of my you know, live performance chops that I got um, came out of like performing live with them as well. Some of my first touring spots you know, across Canada was with the sorority. Um, and it was really uh, easy to apply that because I'd, I'd been a solo artist who just wasn't active in the real world. I was like in my basement making lots of songs. <laughs> And then, you know, with the sorority, it allowed me to like take those songs and bring them out of the house. And then on top of it, now me and the sorority are making our own music. So it just made me, you know, really passionate about what I do and more well-versed in, in what it is that I do. Awesome. That's really great to hear. Um, definitely. And, you know, like despite um, like whatever the experience was, like definitely like it's a learning opportunity for sure. And that's really great that those really good things came out of it. Yeah. So you released your first debut album in May of 2019 called 13th Floor. And that also won a Polaris Music Prize. So that's really awesome. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about this album, like what it meant to you? And also if you can share kind of um, the reason behind the name 13th Floor as well. I read about it in an interview and stuff, um, but I think it'd be really cool if you could share with our listeners right now, yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, like the, the name 13th Floor comes out of, um, me talking about things on this project that I felt were like uncharted territory a little bit, like it makes people uncomfortable. Um, people dismiss the uh, realities of, I think, Black people in, in Canada. I think sometimes our experiences are dismissed. Uh, I know that mine have been often, and you know, people will say things in school like, you're not, you're not American, you don't experience real racism, you don't know, go through trauma, like that sort of stuff. And so right. like really knowing that you've experienced these things, this is probably the biggest trauma that you live with and you walk with. And then you have like counterparts and peers telling you that you don't really experience what it is that you're experiencing. It was tough to kind of fathom putting it, like putting those same themes, concepts and topics on an album that I'm going to release publicly to, you know, people who might have those same perceptions and opinions. And it felt like, you know, those narratives, it's like, I'm just talking about what I've experienced or what I felt. And I felt like those narratives were so commonly dismissed that I recognized there was a parallel between that and the 13th floor. So when you're in a building, um, at least in this country, when you're in a building, like you have the floor number 12 and then it's floor number 14. And you're like, clearly 
clearly, scientifically, this is the 13th floor, but like we remove it based on this preconceived notion of like something that most of us don't understand. Uh, mm-hmm. But we just kind of take on the idea that, yeah, like we don't really know why it doesn't exist, but pretty much just doesn't. And we just conform to that way of thinking and essentially dismiss the existence of the 13th floor. And it felt like a parallel between where people essentially essentially dismiss the narratives of a young black woman in Canada who has these racial experiences and to many other people, it's like, mm, but I've been told that it's not that bad here. So like, I'm pretty sure you didn't really, and then just dismiss your reality. And that, you know, that really formulated, you know, naming the record 13th floor. Initially, like I started thinking about numerology because I wrote a song called 13, which was about the 13th amendment. It essentially states that a, uh, a slave is is basically a prisoner, they're they're one and the same, a concept I've always kind of thought about um, and it largely inspired that song. So that's kind of where the idea of like the number 13 started coming into my mind, but that parallel of the 13th floor and the experiences I was talking about felt like really aligned and it kind of just fell into place. I really found like when I learned about why you named it 13th floor and like that parallel that you were talking about, it's really, really interesting and very creative. Um, And then I was also listening to the song 13 recently and those lyrics were just, wow. Um, And stuff, it's a very, very powerful song. Yeah, for sure. Um, And it's the whole album kind of centered around like conversations like this and um, facing these hard truths and um, bringing these kind of stories and conversations to life? A lot of the album is, I, I would say the whole album is definitely quite variable. And the reason I didn't call the album 13 or, or 13th Amendment or something is because there's only one song about that. So I didn't want to like indicate that this album is all about this one theme when it's not. I think the overall encompassing of just like experiences being dismissed was the the way to go for me and was like the important thing to communicate because I was also talking about things that were specific to self like personal experiences that I've had um that I may feel are being dismissed or 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 that sort of thing so yeah I I I talked about a lot of different themes Uh, I think referencing some personal things made these themes inherently political because I'm talking about being Black, I'm talking about being a woman, I'm talking about these things that, you know, definitely have politics infused discussion-wise, like, if, mm-hmm. you know, that's, we have different opinions on these things. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was really just what I, I, I felt and was feeling the most at that time. And uh, I really shied away from talking about certain topics um, growing up, although I was creating music for many years, like, I was never really the artist to like release music and have like a big audience or anything like that. But I still tried to put my little projects out and I would really avoid talking about certain themes and topics. Police brutality. That was a theme that you don't touch, you know, talking about too much about being a a black. That's not a theme that you really want to touch because you have a wide audience of people that are not going to be that. And like, they're not going to understand. So it was just really good. I think for me to kind of break those notions, um, working with tool man from, a tribe called red now the hallucination he was co-producer on that record and i think it helped to have someone who had experienced a lot of success in being political reinforce me like not not right for me but like really reinforce the things i was writing like wow yeah this is good and like that allowed me to kind of overcome feeling like yo my audience might not receive this because it was like what my team does they're validating it there's something that they are seeing in this that i'm also seeing so like let's just put this out let's take that chance And the chance really, really, really paid off. 
I really did. Awesome. That's really great to hear. Um, no, it's a it's a great album. I listened to a couple songs on it and stuff. And no, it's uh, it's really cool. And even just like your other music too that I've kind of listened to, um, like some of the singles that you've put out and whatnot. Um, really, really great stuff. <laughs> um, oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Um, so, you know, with COVID-19, this pandemic world that we're kind of living in, hopefully moving out of now with everything kind of opening up um, and easing up. Um, how did the pandemic kind of affect your time as an artist, you know, not being able to go into a studio and record or just be able to perform and stuff like that. What was that kind of effect on your career? Um, I think it just took everything that we had going on away. Everything got canceled. Uh, we had to repivot. I mean, even putting out Stock Exchange or putting out these singles was a pivot that that wasn't the intention for the year. And to be honest, for me, stre- off of the strength of the Polaris, that was my performance year. That was my breakout in international year. Uh, it just reminded me, in addition to other things that have happened in the pandemic that have nothing to do with music, that change is inevitable. And you can never be on top of or in front of something without, like, like definitively, like you just don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, a, a tough learning lesson for me to really feel like this was like the, the high point of my career. I've never, like, I remember being like, doing my first tour in the U.S. in February of 2020. So doing the math, that was less than a month before the pandemic. I was actually in L.A. when we were told we were in a state of emergency. And I was like, but, but we're not. Like, I was looking around like, but we're not. We're walking around. We're eating food. Like, I just didn't see the emergency. I also hadn't heard uh, about, like, COVID prior to this trip. Like, I just, I was grinding. I did not hear about right. anything going on. So when I did hear about it, it was like, it's happening right now. And I was like, I... I remember just not being able to fathom it. I was like, there's no way. Like I, we have South by Southwest in Texas. There's, I have four shows. This is the first time that we book shows at South by, like there's no way it's going to get canceled. It hasn't been canceled in 35 years. And that was the first big cancellation that I had. And then I just knew, Oh, like this is, this year is not going to be what I thought. And like, it was just unfathomable to me. Like I probably the biggest nightmare I've experienced. It was devastating. Um, but I learned that I am great at adapting and pivoting because I did that very quickly. And a lot of the songs that I put on th- uh, Stock Exchange, I had either started writing beforehand and I just kind of started reworking them. But like a ton of songs I started writing in March of 2020 because I was like, what am I going to do? Like the restrictions got put in place. It's like I've never experienced something like this, but music still has to be made. And I just kind of like kept writing and proving to myself that regardless of what's going on around me, this is still a passion. This is still something I want to do. This is still something that I prioritize. Um, it was tough, very tough. It still is, I'll be honest. I think the, these circumstances are changing how we, how we think about things, how we feel about things, how we process things. Uh, so I think I'm still navigating that much like everybody else. You know, we're still in it. I'm still getting show cancellations to this day. Um, so it's just tough, right? It's hard to plan anything in a state like this it makes right. it it makes it hard to feel concrete about anything because mm-hmm. nothing feels concrete and it's tough as a musician when you're releasing things on timelines you know I've had lots I've had two opportunities be, be pushed to next year I've had you know I had a show in, in BC in September that was canceled because they weren't in stage four like they thought they would be um you know I, I I'm I'm flying out next month and it's like you got to do COVID tests. And if there's a chance that they see something like, you know, you you feel fine, but like 
you have this worry like what if the results show something different like right. and you what you don't take the flight that you paid for for this trip that you paid for so it's kind of insanity in my mind, like the things that are going on now and also living in real time with a lot of these restrictions and having to be like the first person to undergo them because the career doesn't stop. So it's just, it's been a lot. It's still a lot. But I think the thing I'm trying to do the most in and through all of this is keep making good music. Amazing. Yeah. And that's like a great way to kind of cope with everything, especially like, you know, through lockdowns and stuff, you know, we're like out of lockdown and lockdown it's a good way to, you know, if you're stuck at home, um, compose music and kind of at least have a bank of things, I guess, that, you know, and pursue and continue to work on as things open up, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what had to be done. And I'm in Brampton. So, you know, Peel was a lot. Peel had a lot of cases and was hyper-focused and, and Toronto was bad too. And yeah, so I think the experiences are definitely similar. It was a lot of changing, a lot of like fake promising. And then like, oh, you know, like you just get your hopes up and then have them stomped on. And then you just get used to not getting your hopes up anymore. And then you just, now that you're outside, you're almost like, I don't know where to go. Like I should maybe just stay inside. Like it feels, it's like, it's in in an interesting way. It's like, it doesn't compare to prison at all because, well, it doesn't compare to prison that much but there's an interesting concept about solitude that i think is really damaging right and like when you think about like what prison is and being incarcerated like i thought about this when writing 13 this was a part of you know that song that theme you know talking to someone that has been brought into the system right it's like of course we're not being brought into the system being locked in our homes like we're still in our homes we're still buying our own choice of food. There's much different choice, but I think the solitude aspect of it was really hard to process. It made me think about people who've experienced solitude in a different way. I mostly prisons. I like that's, I think the most kind of cruel way to experience it. Yeah. And I think that it was just, it, it really painted a picture of like how easy it would be for your notions on life to change. Like all it took was not being allowed to go outside. And like people, a lot of so many people's mental health has been impacted and still is. People have lost their businesses, but that's all it took was to not be able to just like get up and just do whatever I want. And like, right. it, it was just a really interesting and troubling concept to think about um, and, and, and that it was happening worldwide. It was just hard to imagine like people that already have difficulties with things and then now they're forced to deal with them all alone with mm-hmm. limited resources and then they, they don't have a job anymore. Like it, it, it's just, I think it made a lot of people stronger, but I think it also hurt a lot of people. You know, we don't hear those stories all the time. So mm-hmm. it, it, you know, for me, I, I tried to be more compassionate through this time. I tried to learn to be more understanding and like, you know, also more aware of like how mental health is impacted because now I feel, you know, being in the black community growing up, it wasn't a topic of conversation that much. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely feel now with this, it's it's more conversational, it's more open, and it's more like accepted because I think more of us are widely experiencing vastly changing realities that would obviously impact our mental health. So I don't know how I really got down this topic, but just the pandemic really kind of changed a lot of things about how we think. And, you know, I'm really hoping that all of the things that I'm learning and that I've learned in this time will make its way into the next round of music. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I hope that for you too as well. Um, but no, those are all very 
very valid points. Like I completely agree. Like COVID was such a troubling time. And like, I completely agree that people have come out stronger from it. But at first, like everything just happened so fast. Like no one knew what the heck was going on. And we just all uh-huh. stopped. And yeah, it was like a worldwide thing. Like every single person was kind of experiencing this and it was really odd, but um, you know, hopefully it's kind of brighter days ahead with everything going on. Um, on that note, like, do you know if there's, um, you know, do you have any like things coming up that you're kind of working on now that, you know, things are kind of freeing up in terms of restrictions and, you know, with vaccination numbers up, all that stuff Are you, do you think you'll do any live shows anytime soon in the next like few months or, um, record anything? What's kind of going on with that? Recording, 100%. I've already done it. I did a little getaway actually like a week or two ago. It was amazing. Um, I've never done writing like that. I went up and rented a tiny home near the lake and just took three days off the grid and brought some beats with me. Yeah, it was really, really cool. I I definitely want to do something like that again. Of course, it is an expense, so I got to space it out. But And it's also time, like time away from everything else. So I really had to coordinate that. But I'd love to coordinate doing another one of those, maybe like a winter uh, get away alone. Um, when it comes to shows, I do have a show. I'm actually having a show that I'm putting on and it's probably one of the biggest stressors is to put on a show yourself. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. And I think the toughest thing about that this year is all of the restrictions and how they impact, um, your audience. So, uh, I have a show on November 12th. I'm super excited. It's going to be at the Phoenix in Toronto. Um, But of course, right now, ticket sales are doing the worst they've ever done. People don't feel comfortable always to be in spaces in proximity with others. And some people don't feel comfortable being vaccinated. So some people won't be able to attend and some people will choose not to attend. And because of that, that's going to mean that we're going to have probably less access to the audience because right now things are just in a place where people's decisions on safety, on connecting on mostly safety um, is what's going to the deciding factor of coming is not you and how good your music is. It's going to be like, yeah, you're good. But like, what about this political thing that's going on in Toronto? Like this, this new policy or this new implementation, these are new considerations we've we've not had before. And so uh, me testing the market in this time, scary stuff. It's definitely worrisome for me to, have to do it now and I didn't have to do it now but like you just gotta get back out there at the same time so I'm just sticking my toes in the water and it's just I just need to do it and so that's what's that's that's what's being done you know but uh, it, it is nerve-wracking because I've you know talked to like other people and I've heard about really big artists who they can't move the same types of tickets that that they normally can and I also know bigger artists that you know like I know you know, we we have some things planned and, and for them, it's like, mm, got to move it to next year because basically these, so these situations, if we don't, if we push forward on these situations and then policies don't change at the time that we're, they're expected to or things, you know, then you're just in a money losing situation. And so that's scary too, because these things cost money to put an event together, to create an experience for people. Mm-hmm. And then like to have people make, for whatever reason, not be able to, experience it and it's not because they don't like your music it's because we're we have it's a complicated time there's a lot of complex thoughts about different things and yeah so like for me I'm like 
it's just for me, the music is number one. I'm putting the music first. You know, I feel that regardless, I'm going to make this show for, for this album that I, or this mixtape that I did, Stock Exchange. I want to make this show accessible to, I want to make the show accessible to the people who are able to attend at that time. And I want those people to be able to have a great time. I think what people are missing is having a good time. And, you know, I haven't done huge shows in Toronto yet, but I've already traveled to Newfoundland. I did a really big show out there. They were loving it. You know, we have different policies in different places. So I've already experienced in different places, you know, that connection again, that feeling again. And what I've, what I've seen is that people crave it and they want it and they enjoy it. And to be honest, like people were just so happy to be out and around live music, you know, for some of the shows that I did over the summer, just like so enthralled in happiness. Even when we did the Budweiser stage for three nights um, here in Toronto with the Arkells, like people were just losing their minds with happiness. And so for those people who do feel comfortable to come out, you know, I really want them to have, you know, this is what I do. Like as safety is of the utmost importance, but connecting with people is still of a high value. It's a part of my my career is a part of what I do. Um, and so to be able to do that again is, 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 I don't know if it's a gift. I don't know what the best word is, but I, I, I just need to ensure that this show is an experience for everybody that is able to be there. And that means, you know, coordinating and making switches and customizing. And I'm excited about that process. I'm actually going to go to rehearsal right after this. I think I could have to do a lot of testing, like while I'm away too. There's a lot of worrisome things like, Oh, if you test, not not like if you test positive while you're away you're just stuck right so these are scary things positions like it's like I don't even want to put myself in that position but at the same time like I've done everything that I can do to to navigate this these dynamics safely and so I just have to do what it is that I'm here to do and I believe that that is music and so I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping everything will fall into place I'm hoping that this upcoming show on November 12th will be uh an experience for Toronto I think Toronto uh Specifically, we are missing a lot of live performances compared to what we're used to. Uh, We just don't have that same thing going on. And I'm hoping that this will be kind of, you know, one of those things that people can look forward to uh, nearing the end of the year. So they can get out of the house and, you know, have a drink and, you know, have a dance and just, you know, really just experience something that was curated for them. Mm-hmm. definitely yeah I think we all kind of need that after the year and a half that we've all had <laughs> so yeah um, absolutely <laughs> um so yeah continuing on your music and stuff um you have a track called blame and I was reading up on it and Lizzo herself called the track a banger and she called it dope multiple times on the CBC um, clip and what was it like seeing that video from CBC with Lizzo kind of complimenting you in that way I mean that I can't even imagine what that must have been like it was um incredible I'm gonna be honest I wasn't expecting that and that was like a like two years ago but I remember when I saw it I was just like wow thank you CBC for like putting my music in front of somebody who is so talented is so recognized for their talents and you know who shared positive sentiments about my music and then that was then published or publicized I really was grateful for that um she had positive things to say about it, you know, being a banger. Um, and it was interesting because I thought that every other song that was played in that little segment was like a highly recognized song. So I was like, how did I, how did I get my, you know, like how did they think to throw my song in? But grateful. I was very grateful for that. Um, I don't know whose decision that was, but 
Yeah, things like that are definitely validating. I think getting little cosigns from artists that are well-respected is something that, you know, the smaller artists like me always strives for. Not handouts or like, you know, validation, but just, you know, like people that are respected for what they do and what they do, similar to you, kind of like giving you a nod. That's, that, that's always a good sign. It, it, it makes you feel like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. No, I was going to ask, like, did you know that that song was going to be played for her or anything? But you said no. So that's pretty. I no clue. I'm still wondering who is the person in the back scene that was like, just throw that, toss that in as a curveball. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> it feels like a curveball to me. Does it? Like, it was like BTS and Celine Dion and then like me. Yeah. And it's just, these artists are like not even big. They're huge. Like, they're like, you know, like highly recognized, like, so I don't, I, I don't know whose call that was, but uh, it definitely wasn't mine. I had no idea that it was happening. I didn't know she was being interviewed, um, but it was a very, very, very nice endearing surprise for me. Awesome, that's really great. So we're gonna take a little bit of a break. We're actually gonna listen to your track, Blame, and then we'll be back. So this is Blame by Havaya Mighty on CFRC 101.9 FM. We're back and you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. We just listened to that awesome song called Blame by Havaya Mighty, who we have joined with us here in our virtual studio. We've been talking about her music, about how COVID-19 has affected her time as an artist, as well as some of her upcoming shows, which you folks should check out. But jumping back into the interview, Havaya, I have another question for you, um, kind of similar to the previous one. So um, XXL, which for folks who don't know, XXL is a hip hop magazine based in New York City. They said that you're one of the 15 Toronto rappers that people should know about. And XXL has worked with rappers of all backgrounds and even some of the top ones. And I personally love watching like XXL freshman ciphers. I would like watch them like in a row or multiple in a day, one a day kind of thing. And they've worked with people like Travis Scott, 21 Savage, um, Little Dicky, Anderson Pock, Designer, Machine Gun Kelly, like all these amazing and really top musicians in like the industry now and how did it feel for you to be put on that list to be said that you're one of the 15 Toronto rappers that people should know about out of you know probably hundreds if not thousands of people how did that feel seeing your name on that list yeah I mean I again that was another unfathomable moment I didn't know that that was coming I think I've gotten a lot of press that confuses me but it doesn't confuse me based on like wow, I don't think I deserve these spots. It's just like, I thought you had to pay for things like this. <laughs> like, you know, like I like I know that until you're a big artist, like when you're a smaller artist, I thought that these things were like specifically paid for. Um, but getting some opportunities has shown me that like if you grind, like sometimes like people will just actually source your music out. They will like it and they'll, you know, want to engage with that and kind of share that with their audience and they might have a bigger audience than even you do. And so like XXL was one of those really kind of like cool things. I think that happened maybe the same year as the Lizzo thing too. Mm. There's a lot of things happening that year where it was like, who is this Havaya Mighty chick? Like she's one, she's one to watch type thing. And that was the thing that a lot of my friends and, and even people like new fans and stuff are like, oh, you're totally, you're next up. You're going to make it. You're high pressure, but very nice for people to feel that I have something to offer that like will continue to occupy like more space as opposed to like, you're gonna fizzle out. You're, no one's gonna care in five years. <laughs> like people are saying good things about where they think that I'm gonna take this sort of stuff. And I think it's based on things like that, based on articles like XXL saying like, 
I, like, cause the people that have heard of me are like, well, I know a lot of people haven't heard of her, but I've heard of her and, and now XXL's heard of her. So that means, you know, in two years, three years, you know, this other big outlet might know or this other, you know what I mean? So those things are just, again, like they're like cosigns from the media that are important in this career, just in terms of like, like I talk about with the stock exchange, like in, in a way, like the, the songs that you put out and the assets you create and stuff like that, those are your stocks and how it's received is the value of that stock. And that's kind of like the inspiration of my latest body of work. And that's how it's felt, right? So like, if you have a month where XXL writes about you, it's going to be a good month. If you put out a song that month, that song is going to do a little better because of that mention. And that becomes like, now your stock is like going up because, right. you know, it's being talked about in like this bigger, by this bigger outlet or by, you know. And so it feels like that. It definitely feels like those kind of like those little milestones. It's like a little accolade, like, wow, you got mentioned by something like this in the beginning. And, you know, you just hope that it means something in the end. I've heard of artists like, like, you know, Travis Scott, like you said, like these artists being mentioned earlier in their career on places like XXL and then them being where they're doing now. Right. I I remember reading that and I was like, oh, that's a good sign, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of like that. Like, hopefully what this indicates is that I'm on that journey and path that other really successful artists were on at a time. And yeah, like I just hope that I can keep that momentum, keep getting those like looks and those, you know, outlets talking about me. You know, we got a Rolling Stone feature this year too, actually. That was another one of those things. It's like, where did this come from? Um, and I hope to continue to get kind of like more, like I got one with the source as well. I'm hoping to get more of those like media looks where, you know, you don't really necessarily know who it is that found you, but they found you. And they're, they're ensuring that more people will find you as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, that's, uh, it's really cool. And yeah, like you were saying, you know, like all these uh, top artists now, like they were kind of like, you know, so young and like so new to like the whole scene and stuff when they're featured on um, outlets like XXL. And um, yeah, it'd be really cool to obviously for you to like go through that journey as well and just kind of uh, just you know, work yourself up there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but just to kind of cap off and round off the interview, um, our last question, if you could give your teenage self one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. So definitely I got to pull back to believing in yourself, which I always laugh. And I know it's like the corniest thing that like they always said at like the high school assembly, but (laughs) I really do think that it is kind of the thing that was the turning point of my career and I think for me like I was making music and putting it out releasing it online I wasn't really monetizing it or like I wasn't really doing so much research to I was doing some research like how do I get it on iTunes these sort of things but there was a deep down depth of disbelief that this was actually what I was going to end up doing and I think that I knew that so if I got a show opportunity which I only got if someone found me I didn't seek it myself so that's another version of yeah, I'm just not doing this extra work that I could be doing to, to really like, I focused on my everyday day job and I would make music after my day job. I wasn't, I didn't believe I could replace that. Um, I think where the turning point came for me in my career was seeing that other people thought I was incredible and other people thinking I was incredible made me also think, wow, maybe I am. And I think after that cipher that I did, like there were comments that were like, wow, that's, is that the girl from Long and McQuaid Brampton, you know, is that like people were recognizing me in the comments and then alternatively in the streets, people were coming into Long and McQuaid like, yo, I saw that video you did. I went to the bank. The guy's like, are you a rapper? Like that started happening. And I think that for me 
was like, oh my goodness, like, wow, I've been making music for so long and nobody knows, nobody cares. And I did this one little 16 bar rap verse. I don't think I'm doing anything I don't do on my own songs. And people are like, whoa. And it was just like, I was confused at first, but then I was like, yo, I didn't feel like I was, I just felt like, wow, like people know that you're good now. Like, I didn't even think it was specific to the cypher. I'm like, no, like this is what the first thing that they heard. And for me, it was validating that, yeah, you're actually good. Yeah, you can actually occupy space. Yeah, people would actually pay money to see you. Yeah, people like, like that was the turning point. And I think that I just, those things, I couldn't affirm any of that to myself until that time. And it's not like this cypher made me any money. It's not like it paid me or like it was even like necessarily planned, but mentally it shifted a lot of things. And so for me, I know that my work ethic changed at that time. I know that my connectivity to fans my like value, my, uh, my value in terms of like how I valued my own social media and how that told the story of who I am, uh, how often I went to like mentorship cafes and met up with other people and did photo shoots. I started to really look at this, like a career that I have to drive. And I also recognized, yo, there's an audience here and they need, you have to convert them. Are you a battle rapper? No. So what are you going to do with all these people that like the fact that you rap like this? You have to introduce them to your music. And out of the strength of the cypher, I made a project called the, uh, Flower City. And it was the project that preceded 13th Floor. It's definitely the reason that 13th Floor was able to even exist because that project allowed me to create my team that I have now. And so everything I owe to that mindset, that changed when it, when it came to that cypher because I also had, a, I had goals. I knew that, you know, I was like, wow, I have an audience here, but I don't want, I don't want to keep doing this thing that they like. This is not what I do. Like I like to make songs, which is a different. So I was like, how do I convert them? And I had these goals. I was like, well, you got to put a project out within a year. It can't be more than a year because now you're just, what have you done for me lately? So you got to do it like, you know, no more than a year. So I remember putting it out uh, like basically a year later. So I started working on it kind of like, in April, you know, like right, right after the cypher dropped, I was already writing the music and I put that out uh, within a year or about at a year's mark. Um, and my goal for that record was like, well, I want to get booking agents because now I could perform and right. I know that that's what a booking agent does for me. And, and I'd like to get a manager, but like, I, I know I'm not supposed to like look for them. They're supposed to look for me, but th I have to have something to sell myself. So I got to put this album out. And I'd known about Factor Grants since I went to college for music, but I'd never gotten one. And I'm like, well, I'd love to try to really get a grant for this one because, you know, now I'm really going hard and this is a different type of planning process than I've ever done before. And literally all the goals that I had, like were exiled. Like I wanted to have a release party for that project. I did. The booking agent that I invited to the release party became my booking agent within like that week. And wow. I, it's funny, I had sent him my, that project, that's the Flower Seed project privately months prior. And he was like, meh, like not blown away. But once he saw me live, saw me DJing for myself, saw like we packed this room with like 70 people, nothing crazy. But at that time it was like, I didn't know I could do this. Yeah. I didn't know I could do it either. He was like, wow. I shouldn't be telling you this, but basically like, I would like to sign you. It's going to take a long process, but basically he's like, I'm going to start booking for you and not commissioning until the paperwork is all done because I believe in this so much. And, and then he started breaking down to me, you know, like you're eventually going to meet someone that will be your manager. And like, we won't, we'll barely talk to you and your manager. You'll have to be best friends. He was like breaking down the dynamic of what that would look like. He then uh, later invited a, a woman to one of my shows um, that I did at Canadian Music Week just to see. And she was at the time managing a couple of acts and one of those acts was a tribe called Red. So for me, I was like, oh, that's pretty exciting. Like, wow, these, these conversations are happening. And then 
she became my manager. And then like, and then we started working on, you know, Flower City was out. We started talking about it, you know, thinking about new music. We applied for a grant and then we got the grant. Like, it's funny, I got a $2,000 grant for the Flower City project. My first grant ever. I wrote it myself. I did get it for the that project so even that goal came true but then like even for the next body of work now i've met this team that's helped me secure the bigger grant through factor that i know i can't get on my own and it jump started the process of 13th floor now i have a booking agent i have a manager i have a team and then my team grew from there you know hiring my sister as my constant makeup artist my best friend as my dj my sister's husband as my tour manager everything actually grew to like where we're at now and we're actually functioning at a professional level you know and and supporting each other and yeah, so that's kind of like the whole thing. And I, that's a really long-winded way of like saying all of this, all of that came out of believing in myself. Like literally that didn't come out of doing the cipher. Excuse me. It came out of believing off of the strength of the cipher that I could do more. If I just did a cipher, I'd be nobody right now. I still think, you know, <laughs> on the context of no ability, I'm still, you know, lower on that scale. But I wouldn't even be having this interview with you if I didn't have the mindset change, that cypher was not breaking my career. It was not the thing, you know what I mean? But sometimes you just have to recognize that like that thing comes from within and you have to really push that thing. And if you believe in self, that that's kind of the preface of whatever the thing could ever be. And without that, it's hard to know if a thing could ever be. So my biggest advice to someone, my younger self, or even any other young creators that want to do anything in a creative world, or like, Actually, it doesn't even matter what industry. I think it's just, you really have to get to a place of self-affirmation and believing in yourself. You know, when you get into your late 20s, that's like a regular, oh, I meditated today. That's like a regular thing. We're all trying to like, you know, be the best version of ourselves because we've learned so much about how like we have terrible versions of ourselves by this age, we we get it. Um, But I think that, you know, if you're younger, like still recognizing that you have those you know, you can still think like that now, like utilize YouTube or Google or whatever, and find those positive affirmations to work towards really loving oneself, believing in oneself. And in turn, whatever that passion is, you should be able to put more of you or all of you into it. Yeah. I, <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I feel like I needed that. Yeah. <laughs> that was really great. Um, thank you so much for um, that amazing advice. So to anyone, yeah, to anyone out there, no matter your age too, like, yeah, just believe in yourself. It's never too late. Um, to get what you want to get done. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for the advice. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add before we end off or? Um, no, I think that's it. I, this was a really good conversation. You had great questions. Hey, amazing. Well, thank you so much Havaya for joining us on CFRC. Thank you for having me. Well, that was an amazing interview with Havaya Mighty, and I hope you folks enjoyed that as much as I did. Before we end off the show, we are going to play some more of her amazing, amazing music. So we have three songs coming up. First off, we have Avocado, which I love the title of. We then have Could Have Been You featuring Astro Kid J. And then we have her iconic song, and you should totally check out the music video too, because it's absolutely sick. Tesla. So thank you so much, Avaya, again for coming on CFRC. I hope you folks enjoy these songs. This is Avocado by Havaya Mighty on CFRC 101.9 FM. Thank you for listening to In the Booth, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.